I want to start by uh, just asking you a question of what do you cherish the most in life? So I want to give you a few seconds to think about it. Then I'm going to ask everyone to, to yell that answer out. So, so kids, if you're here, this is your time to shine. So I want you to think, what is the thing that you cherish the most in life? On the count of three, everybody just blurted out at the top of your lungs, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I heard a lot of family, but I heard even more candy. So if you are a parent, prepare yourself for what you inevitably know is coming uh, later today. You know, I read an article earlier this week about a, uh, a couple that owns a Dairy Queen franchise in the state of Illinois. And if you were to ask them what do they cherish the most, they would have told you about this giant red spoon that belonged to their franchise. So here's a picture of it. They own this one in Arizona. It is the only Dairy Queen in the state of, uh, state of Arizona that has one of these giant red spoons. And they cherish it so much because it's referred to commonly as the selfie spoon, that people drive from hundreds of miles away sometimes to take a picture of with this spoon. But then last weekend, it was actually stolen. And so last Saturday, some people kind of drove onto the property and stole the spoon. And so I began to read this article. Like, it just sucked me. And I was like, I got to know like, what happened with this spoon. And so they were interviewing the owners. And, and this thing is massive. He says, it's 15 feet, and it costs over $7,000. But this was the first comment. said, well, at first, I was a little upset. But then I was just really puzzled because you can't actually eat anything with it. And they said the spoon portion can fit the, about a small toddler in it and whatnot. So they're just painting the, the picture of how big the spoon is, but then it got better. It said, but security footage revealed that uh, this was some seasoned criminals. They'd clearly done this before. They were here and gone within minutes. They acted swiftly and they took off on a motorbike. So could you imagine you're driving down the road at like 1 a.m. In, in rural Arizona and you see these guys, like holding a hold on to the spoon. We can't lose this thing now. But don't worry, the spoon was found. A few days later, a 52-year-old man was out playing Pokemon Go at 7 a.m. We're going to reserve judgment. In which he snapped a picture and sent it to his wife and said, I found the spoon. Because at this point, it had sweeped their entire community that we have to find this thing back. People started making shirts that said, where's the spoon? And so he sends a picture to his wife. He calls the authorities. They show up. The, the perpetrators had taken the spoon. They tossed it over a tall fence at a school. And then so the police had to come. And this was my favorite part. This is how they decided to get the spoon back. They like ratchet strapped it down. They did the good old Midwest fling. Burn. Yep, that ain't going anywhere type of deal. And they drove it back. And it ends with this. The owner said to the man, thank you so much for bringing back our prized possession. We want to offer you blizzards for life. And the guy's response, I kid you not, is I don't even like ice cream. And I was like, I do. Like, I will be your friend. And you just had make the blizzards in my name, if you will. What do you cherish most in life? And there's a pretty strong connection that what we cherish the most is oftentimes the thing that we are probably searching for the most as well. You know, if you are my kids, the thing that you cherish the most is going to happen this afternoon when Grammy and Papa come over to have an Easter egg hunt and you want to find the golden egg right? There's only one. It's not like every grandchild gets one. There is one golden egg. And in the Friedman household, we don't play favorites. You either find it or you don't. They cherish that. So they will search diligently. They won't look for any other eggs until the golden egg is found first. 
A recent study talked about uh, interviewing Americans and how they feel. What are they searching for most in life? And over half of Americans say they are on a search for hope. They're on a search for meaning in life. And now whether that has to do with the state of the economy, the rippling effects of COVID, the general unrest in the world around us, only one in seven Americans said that they believe they have a strong, firm hope of what their future holds. At the end of the day, I think it's safe to say that we are all desperate for hope. We are all desperate for hope. We want hope. We need hope. The world around us desires hope because without hope, doesn't life begin to diminish a little bit more? That which is bleak seems a little bit darker when there is no hope. In fact, they did a uh, talking to survivors of concentration camps and they said that the ones who actually made it through those were not the ones who were the strongest. It wasn't the ones who were the youngest. It wasn't the ones who had the most to look forward to on the other side, the biggest families. The ones who survived claimed that they had an undeniable, unwavering hope to get them through today. You see, hope has power. But sometimes we're unsure of where to find it or even harder is to find a hope that actually lasts. So where do we look? Where do we turn as people who desperately need hope to get us through this life? That's what I hope today offers for you, is to show you, to paint you a picture of where you too can find a hope that lasts. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. If you're a Bible person, go all the very back of your Bible, you'll get to the book of Revelation, go a little bit to the left, and you'll run into 1 Peter. And before we dive into today's text, I want to set up kind of who this Peter guy is who's writing this letter to this ancient group of Christians, this old church. You see, Peter was one of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of Jesus's 12 closest friends. For three years, he walked wherever Jesus went. He listened to his teaching. He saw him perform miracles. And he was there when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And he was one of the first to the tomb. Peter, is fair to say, experienced the most hope and the least amount of hope when it came to the life of faith. That when life seemed most dark, When Jesus' body was taken off the cross and put into a tomb and they rolled the stone over and darkness filled the sky, Peter probably experienced what was a feeling of an utter lack of hopelessness in his life. But Peter was also present on the day of the resurrection. Some 2,000 years ago, he was on his way to a tomb. He was outrun by John, which is always a fun little tidbit there. And he was also there in the upper room a few uh, weeks later when Jesus imparts his spirit on the day of Pentecost. It's safe to say that Peter experienced the highs of hope and the lows of life without it. And then he writes this letter as if to say to people, hope has transformed my life. Hope has changed how I function. Hope has changed how I act. And it can transform your life too. Here's what it looks like and here's where to find it. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse three, Peter says, so praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. On the count of three, everybody say living hope. One, two, three. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, get this, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation 
that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter kind of unpacks in this text is this idea that there's something happened in the past, that there was a man who lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the grave because there was a past action that changes future for each and every person who has faith in that man who died and rose from the grave, but it also gives us power in the present. He said, this is something that we ought to celebrate. This is something that we should be praising. This is something that we should be sharing with people. And he says, it hinges on this one idea, this idea of a living hope. Now, you can take this idea of a living hope, or maybe you can call it biblical hope if you want. But hope in our vernacular is oftentimes a little bit different than it is as it's stated in Scripture. You see, in Scripture, the word hope means confidence. It means assurance. Undoubtedly, it is going to come to fruition. Whereas we use hope as like, fingers crossed, wishful thinking type of situation, right? So when we say, when we talk about hope, it could be things like, well, I'm a Bears fan. That's my law, all my life is. It's just, I'm just hoping day after day, season after season, they've got this pick, they're probably gonna botch it, so all I have to live on is hope. We have a lot of hope in, in political candidates and we say, well, maybe the next one will be the one who brings this country back around to the right things. Or maybe you might say to yourself, well, it's the next stage of my life. When I get to college, when I graduate college, when I have a full-time job, when I have a full-time job that, that makes enough money, when I have a family, when I have multiple kids, at that next stage of life, hopefully then I will experience satisfaction or fulfillment. We like to use the word hope in terms of wishful thinking of what could be, what might be. But when the Bible uses the term hope, it's saying, no, 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 you have assurance, you have confidence, you have certainty in this life. You know, uh, we kind of jokingly have a a saying that says there are only two certainties in this life, and that is death and taxes, right? You got about six days if you haven't done it yet, okay? The Bible would say you can hope on that. You can know that those two things are going to happen, that no matter what your week has brought, no matter what this year has brought, no matter what this yes, yesterday brought, the sun will rise again. You can hope in that. When you step foot onto an airplane, you're not hoping wishfully that it gets you to the destination. You step on with confidence and assurance that it's going to take you to where you want to go. So when the Bible, when, when, when if Peter talks about hope, he's saying you have certainty and assurance of a hope that is alive. When it comes down to it, we need hope. Desperation is everywhere around us. Despair is something that clouds our news headlines in our lives. And you might be thinking, well, Eric, that Peter probably wrote that to a bunch of people whose life was all together. They probably didn't have any problems. They probably didn't have cancer back then. Everything was fine, going well. And so it's easy to have hope then. But when Peter wrote this letter some 2,000 years ago, he's not writing to a group of people who had a whole lot to hope in this life. There was civil unrest. The religion that they followed that had freedom was about to be taken away. Military conquests were about to send them out of their homes. They had nothing to hang their hat on. But Peter says to them, but you have hope that is alive in the name of the risen Savior, that is Jesus Christ. Because he took on the debt of our sin, because he died on the cross, because he was buried in a tomb, and he rose three days later, you have an unshakable, you have a hope that does not spoil or fade. Peter's saying, this is why Jesus 
died and rose from the grave. That is why we have Easter. That is why we have Resurrection Day. is isn't because someone died, but it's because someone showed power over death to offer anyone who believes living hope in a living hope that lasts. You see, the world around us means when we see the sin and brokenness, what do we do with it? Is that the resurrection of Jesus means that hope is alive. It's not something we have to wait on. It's not something that we have to be curious about. It's something that Jesus has brought to the forefront of our minds and our hearts. But it has to be living. So if you're someone who's looking for hope, if you're someone who's searching for hope, If you're somebody who has placed your hope in your accolades, in your experiences, in your business, in a relationship, and it is wavering, and you're looking for meaning or something that's going to last, you need to change where you find that hope. And it starts with being willing to die to yourself so that you may be raised to life. I love how Pastor Ben Stewart puts it, talking about this idea of what hope does in the life of Christians. And what he says is, is that when we die, we are not a corpse, but we are a seed. And so that's what he kind of talks about. And I want to kind of use that illustration this morning. So I've got this, this pot that I found in my backyard, and it's got some soul, because that's how you say it here in the Midwest. It's not soil, it's soul. And you got some soil here, and I got some seeds. And the interesting thing is if you take a, a couple seeds, you know what these seeds do right now on their own? This isn't a trick question, nothing. Like they do absolutely nothing. Now what we do know about a seed is that there is hope that it could do something. That maybe what it once was or where it came from, that these, these, hope, uh, these seeds could have something to look forward to in life. And then what do you do with the seeds? You do what seems weird, what seems backwards, what seems unthinkable, is you dig a little hole into a ground or into a pot and you drop your seeds in and then you cover them up. Isn't that a little weird to think about? Isn't that a little backward? You take something that's already dead and you make it more dead? You, you surround it in darkness and dirt. Like, what do you put in the ground? Dead things, dead people. And what the hope of Jesus says, what the hope of Jesus does, it says that hope brings dead things back to life. And so I want you to think about that for yourself this morning is that in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the living hope that he offers through the power of his resurrection, you are not a corpse when you die, you are a seed. Right now, your soul, your spirit has the power to become new, to be born again, to sprout new life. And that is the good news that we celebrate. That is the good news that we worship here on Easter, that you are more than a corpse, you are a seed. But it requires death to have been surrounding you so that you may be raised to life in the name of Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. That the promise of hope overcame when darkness seemed to have won. And that's the hope that you can have in Jesus today. You can be confident in your future because Jesus took death and he turned it to life. He took what seemed like a tomb and he made it into a tunnel, into a new way of living. And this is the best story, is it not? So much so that a lot of our entertainment, some of our most popular uh, chronological movies like to follow this idea that the only way for evil to be defeated, the only way for life to be had is for death to overpower evil. 
Think about Star Wars. Think about Harry Potter. In those films, in that form of entertainment, it is a story that is not unique to themselves, that they draw it from the same idea that is not a corpse when you die, but you are a seed with the living hope that is Jesus Christ. It's one of the things I love about the Christian faith. It's one of the things I love about digging into the word of God because it confirms what I know and what I see and what I feel around the world around me. And that is that that life isn't the way it ought to be. Life isn't the way things should be. It feels bleak sometimes. Sometimes I feel lost. Sometimes I'd have no idea what I'm doing. And the Bible says that's why you need hope. And you need a hope that is alive and a hope that lasts. But there's a second part to hope in Jesus. And it's not just that someday off in the future, when you die, something great will happen. Living hope in Jesus means that you also have power in the present. That there's a different way to view life. There's a different way to make decisions. That there's a different way to navigate things because you know you are certain of what the future holds. Let me give you uh, an example. In my line of work, I get the privilege of, of walking a lot of people to the point of marriage. Um, now, uh, I don't actually marry multiple people. I marry one person, but I get to stand up there with them as they prepare for this day. And you know what I've never seen before on a wedding day? I've never gotten to, to the space and been like, oh, yep, there's the spouse, there's the wife in some blue jeans and a white t-shirt. I've just never seen that. In fact, we oftentimes know the opposite, is that a lot of energy, a lot of work, a lot of stressful weekends go into finding the right dress and 17 cases of hairspray is bought and, and you have people massaging your hands and you gotta make you look as beautiful as possible. And that's a great thing because it's the best day of your life. But I've never sat down with a couple and be like, okay, how do you guys want this ceremony to work? Yeah, we're just gonna show up. You know, we're just going to show up, just see what happens and just kind of figure it out. You know, I've never talked to, to a bride-to-be and her says, like, what are you planning on wearing? You know, are you going to wear a dress? No, I'm not going to even shower. I'm just going to show up because I know my groom is going to come anyways. In fact, the opposite happens because the bride is confident of what the future holds because the bride knows that the groom is going to show up. She prepares all the more for that faithful moment. And the same goes for us living in this life because we know that our bride, Jesus Christ, will come to us. It gives us power, gives us things to do in the present to make a mess of what is life and to take it and say that is dead and I have newness. You see, without hope, life can oftentimes feel fleeting, can it not? It can feel meaningless. It can feel here today, gone tomorrow. But as Peter tells us is that with hope, even pain has a purpose. That with the living hope that is Jesus, life has an undeniable meaning and purpose. It is here today and still here tomorrow. What that means is, is I don't know what you walked in with in regards to where you find hope if you feel like you have hope. Maybe you're searching for hope. Maybe you've looked for hope and you've been unable to find it. But what the living hope of Jesus tells us is that when something goes wrong again in life, you know that that's not the way life is going to always be. 
That when you read another article about a failed program, when you get another social media post about more casualties at a school, when you're a parent and you get that dreaded 1 a.m. phone call that nobody wants to ever receive, hope in Jesus means there is a different future. You can take that to the bank and have assurance and confidence that life will be better. But not only that, it gives us a reason to live differently. So my question is, do you have hope? Do you have hope in this life? And if the answer is yes, what is that hope in? Is it in something that doesn't spoil, doesn't perish, doesn't fade? Or is your hope in money? Is your hope in that square footage? Is your hope that getting, at some point, you'll have the right letters at the end of your name, and that's what's going to raise you to the top of where you want to be? Do you have hope in this life, and is it in something that won't spoil our fate? You might be here this morning because you have no hope, because you've looked at your life and you said, I don't really know where else to go. I don't know really what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. So I'm going to give this church thing. I'm going to give this Easter Sunday thing. I'm going to give this Jesus guy a shot and see what what might happen. And what I want to propose to all of us is if your hope is not in Jesus, it's either in something that's not going to last or it's going to be a, a hope that will never sustain you anywhere in life. So do you have hope? A living hope that is stored up for you in eternity. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, talking about the response to hope being faith. Peter puts it uh, uh, by, by saying, so what do we do with hope is by responding in faith. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, continuing on in verse 6, he says, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief, and all kinds of trials. These have come so that you've proven the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you find yourself asking, where do I find hope? Where do I find a living hope? Where do I find a hope that lasts? Peter says, in Jesus Christ. And the way you receive it is by believing through faith that he lived, he died, he rose again, and he turns you into that same seed if you wish. There was a study done by the Gallup poll recently. Um, They're trying to determine the rippling effects of COVID that it's had on us as a people, communities. And they found that actually there was one group of people that throughout the entire COVID season experienced the same amount of life or in fact actually improved in their overall well-being. And the commonality between that group of people was one thing. And they found as people who regularly attended some type of religious service. Now, they didn't know what to do with it. They're not really a religious polling uh, study organization, but Harvard got wind of this, and they, they took it upon themselves to create the Harvard Study of Human Flourishing to say, well, why is this? How is it that when the whole world was upended in chaos, there's a group of people 
who committed to gathering physically at a place for some reason, how is it they actually came out the other end perhaps even better? What happened? And what they found was the reason being was why they gathered, why we gather as a church. We don't gather for any reason other than to worship Jesus. We don't gather for any other reason to say that our hope is not found in the things of this life, the circumstances of what is going on, that we gather to worship that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, and that hope will never waver no matter what happens. You see, it's not about just gathering with other people. You do that with your softball team, but you're probably not flourishing after the end. Some of you are like, but we're really good. your book club, your wine tasting classes, I don't know, whatever it is that you gather with other people, it's not that you're actually just gathering, it's why. And as Christians and as the church, we gather around one reason and one reason only, is that we believe Jesus is alive and that hope has been granted to us. So Peter puts it simply, if you want a living hope that lasts, you respond in faith that you die to your sin so that you may be raised to life in the name of Jesus. I'll end it with this thought this morning. Is what is faith? Faith is when we actively trust the living hope that is Jesus. If you want to know, how do I respond in faith? How do I know what faith is? How do I receive this living hope that Peter is talking about? How does it transform my life? It's actively living out that truth that Jesus is the only living hope, that something happened in the past that gives me certainty of a future which changes how I live in the present. Jesus gave us this whole plan. He basically said, all right, here's the plan, guys. There's a problem. I'm gonna fix that problem. I'm gonna die on the cross. They're gonna put me in a grave. I'm gonna come back to life and boom, problem solved. And then whoever believes will have eternal life and my spirit's gonna live in you. And they're like, well, that's the plan? And he's like, that's the plan. I'm not buying it, they said. I, I don't believe, I don't think that's really a thing. He's like, okay, well, well, at the end of the day, I'm gonna die, and he died. And then they're gonna put his body into a grave, and they put his body into the grave, and then three days later, he rose from the grave, and then he simply looks at anyone who asks. He says, you have one question to ask yourself. Who do you say that I am? Do you wanna be a corpse that when you die, you are buried and there is no hope, or do you wanna be a seed like I was? Do you want to have a new way of living, a new way of life that transforms and transcends everything we do here and now? Jesus, this is what I offer, is for you to have a living hope. Who do you say that I am? For thousands of years, this plan was laid out. Even the prophet Isaiah wrote it down. He said that the the Son of God, the Messiah, will be like a seed, a shoot that springs out of dry ground. You know what dry ground is? It's deader than dead soil. It's the worst kind of soil that no life can come from it. But that's exactly who Jesus was. They're going to spring to life. That when all hope seems lost, when death seems to have won, I'm going to reign victoriously. I'm going to step out of that grave because dead people are now made alive. That you too can be a seed. You might feel like a seed out of soil right now. You might feel like there's not a whole lot of hope in your life. 
You might look at what is the seed of your life and say, I don't really know what to do with this. And Jesus says, die to yourself. Die to me. And you will receive the living hope that is the name of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you one last time as as we get ready to, to go to our next stage of our service here this morning is, do you have hope? I hope that you do. I hope that, that, that when you survey your life, that it's not just deadness. But I also hope that you have hope in something that lasts. This life, our world, our culture does a very, very good job of telling us to place our hope in many other things to bring you life. There are many other things that this world will sell you that if you want to have meaning, if you want to truly feel alive, if you want to have something that lasts, this is what you do. This is where you go. This is where you find it. And over and over again, we can share story after story after story of people who put their hope in something not named Jesus. And when all is said and done, they're still left wanting more. We hope in our jobs, we hope in our 401ks, we hope in particular people, we hope in our accolades, we hope in our talent, we hope in our success, we hope uh, that, that, that someday we'll have a family, we hope in a lot of things. And then when that thing doesn't happen, we just feel like a seed all over again. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, there is nothing that is too dead. There is nothing that is too dry. There is nothing that is too broken. There is no seed that is so far gone that it cannot be brought back to life. Do you have hope? And is it in the name of Jesus or not? What's gonna happen for the rest of our service this morning is we're gonna see people express that decision to trust in Jesus Christ. Through, through what is called baptism, we're gonna see people that when they go under the water, they are expressing that they have died to themselves. And then through the power of the resurrection, they are raised to life, a new being with a living hope that does not spoil, rust, or fade. In a few moments, we're gonna partake the confession of faith together. And there's many in this room who have already said, hey, today is the day in which I am proclaiming that faith. But we wanna offer an invitation for anybody here this morning who has yet to see Jesus as their living hope in this life, to express that publicly, that Jesus is who I believe he said he was, that he is the savior, he is the risen Messiah, and I want him to be my living hope, not just now for all eternity. And that could very well be why you're here this morning. You might be saying, I'm not a church person. I kind of do the Easter thing because it's just, this is what you do. Uh, I had a friend brought me. And you are here because the spirit of God is trying to say, hey, hope in me. Hope in me, hope in my love, hope in my grace, hope in my mercy, hope in nothing else. Hope in me and I will transform your life. Die to yourself and I will make you a seed because I will be the power that rises you from the grave. And if that's you this morning, if you feel that tug, if you feel those goosebumps, so to speak, if that is you, we have clothes in the back ready for you to say, hey, we have been waiting for you. We've been praying for people to make this decision. So I'm gonna invite you all stand with me here this morning. If you would, rise to your feet. 
And we're gonna take the profession, the confession of faith together as a church family. If you belong to the family of God, we invite you to repeat these words. If you are making that profession today to be baptized, we invite you to repeat these words. If you came this morning and you didn't know, but now you know, this is the day, this is the moment. It cannot wait. I will get into that watery tomb because I don't wanna be a corpse. I wanna be a seed that experiences new life. We invite you to partake by repeating these words after us as well. This is the confession of faith. Repeat after me. It begins like this that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I take him as my personal Lord and savior. So what we're gonna ask right now is that anyone who would like to make that decision to be baptized, whether you had planned it or this is the moment, will you begin just making your way forward to one of the two entrances here at the begin, uh, front of our auditorium? Can we give a round of applause for everybody uh, making that? You can go ahead and make your way right now. We are so thrilled, we are so excited to be able to experience this together. What the rest of our service is gonna look like is we're gonna provide a time of communion and during this time of communion, as you pray, as you reflect, if you sense that tug, if you sense that says, no, no, you need to get up, you need to do this, just slip out of your chair, go out one of these doors and we have our team there ready to meet you. The rest of us, as we partake in communion, may we reflect on what Easter represents for us, but it is the power that lives with us each and every day. Then our service is gonna continue with some more songs, but as it continues, we will have the opportunity to witness, to celebrate these people, these students, these kids who are making the declaration that they have a living hope. You may be seated as we get ready for communion this morning. If you haven't had the chance to grab that communion, there are four stations in the room. A timer is gonna come on the screen for three minutes. And in those three minutes, we want you to think about, to consider, to reflect that the little cracker represents the body of Christ broken for you. The little juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. That 2000 years ago, out of his love, his grace, his mercy, to pay the debt of our sin, Jesus' body was brutally beaten. He was hung on a cross. He was laid to death in a tomb and he rose three days later so that his living hope might be our inheritance for life ever after. We leave you for these couple minutes to consider how that power now lives in you and through you and every Christian around the world today.